Welcome to this week's episode of London Heal. I am your host, Tatiana Kosesnov. This week, my guest is Jade Shaw. Now, we all know from science that the idea is that consciousness is located, generated, and confined to our brain. However, there are a lot of experiences that many of us have in life which would perhaps question that judgment. And one of those is out-of-body experiences and astral travel. Now, I'm so lucky to have Jade with me this week because she's an absolute expert in this area, and I'm looking forward to having a really interesting conversation, probing more details about what an out-of-body experience is and what it can do for us, and if we can all have one. So just to let you know a little bit more about my lovely, lovely guest today, Jade was um, an international choreographer for the Royal Academy of Dance and Sadler's Wells, a girl after my own heart, because I'm an ex-dancer myself. So. <laughs> um, during that time, she had a transformative out-of-body experience that absolutely changed her life, and compelled to explore her experience, she embarked on an MSc in transpersonal psychology and has spent the last three years researching the transformative effects of out-of-body experiences. To spread awareness, she's made a documentary called Inside Out. I was very lucky to be at the premiere. I highly recommend anybody listening, if you get the chance, go and watch it. She has also consulted on projects concerning astral travel and OBEs. Um, she hosts workshop, is a speaker, and does also personal consultations on the subject. So first of all, Jade, welcome and thanks for taking the time to speak to me today. No problem. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here to chat about my favourite subject. And so, yeah, slowly, slowly beginning to be my favourite subject too. <laughs> so, um, let's start right at the very beginning. I said in the intro, and I think that's the way with, with most people who get into this sort of line of work is that it all starts out with a personal journey. So mm. tell us a little bit more about your journey and what happened to you and what what. When, led you away from the world of dance and into the world <laughs> all weird and wonderful yeah well I had a very powerful out-of-body experience in 2014 but actually prior to that when I was a child I used to get um quite anomalous experiences when I was younger so things would be um unexplainable um when I would fall into different sleep states and also just at night. So I'd have these seemingly extrasensory perceptions or I would appear to hear different sounds, a feeling of energy running through the body or electricity. Um, very scary stuff, to be honest. And it, it quite shook me up. And it even got to the point after a few years where my mum thought about taking me to see a child psychologist. Um, and she says, well, let's, um, let's leave it a little bit longer and see what happens. So this is kind of when I was about 10 by this time. So it happened for a few years. And what I realized was when this, uh, these different senses started to happen, these different experiences, if I slowed down my breathing, it would slowly bring them to a stop. So that's what I started to do. And they slowly subsided and I stopped having this kind of crazy, scary experience. Fast forward to the future. Um, I walk into a bookshop and I pick up Robert Monroe's Journeys Out of the Body. And I read a little bit and I see different descriptions about this vibrational state. So feeling of energy in the body, vibrations, different sounds, appearing to see through the eyelid and such experiences. And I thought this is exactly what I was having as a child. If I were to try some of these techniques to exit the body, would I have an out-body experience? Now, at this time, I've been practicing lucid dreaming for almost over 12 years. So I kind of thought maybe people are just having out-of-body, um, just having lucid dreams, and it's not an out-of-body experience. But let's do a few techniques and find out. So I did quite a few and nothing happened. I tried to practice again and nothing seemed to happen. So I thought, well, it's probably just lucid dreaming and people describe it like an OBE, out-of-body experience. But then one night when I got into bed, I fell straight into the vibrational state. So my body was completely relaxed and asleep, but my mind was awake and aware. And I started to have these different sounds and different physical sensations in the body that then suggested to me that that was what I was experiencing as a child. I recognized it and I thought, okay, I can do an exit technique now. So I did one called the rollout technique and I rolled out of my physical body 
and I ended up in my room outside of my body uh, where I could look back on it and so I thought okay stay calm (laughs) don't get too excited or too scared because as we know that can bring us back to the body Uh, and I decided to go out of the window and drop down into the street and when I did it was a little bit like it was like floating, like flying. I didn't have any shape or form. I seemed to just be a point of awareness. But then once I'd landed in the street, for some reason, when I looked down at my physical body, I seemed to have a translucent kind of mirage-like form, a little bit like what I describe as the invisible woman. I had this kind of energy body. And when I moved my arm, it was a little bit like when light leaves a trail behind. And I remember looking down at the grass and having hyper- 3D definition senses. I could sense the droplets of dew on the grass of the park across the road, even though I was several meters away from it. And I looked up to the sun and I saw the sunbeams coming down. And it was just like a real, a real hyper reality, if you like. It's very difficult to explain these extraordinary experiences, but realer than real, a lot of people say. And so I thought, okay, I'm out of my body, I'm I'm outside. Uh, what should I do? I should go do something. So I thought, okay, I'm going to try and verify this experience. And so I traveled down the street for a little while and I came to some crossroads and there was a house on the left-hand side and it had a door with a green uh, arch at the top and paint was stripping off it. So I thought, okay, I'm going to remember this. Crossroads, house on the corner, green door, left-hand side with the number 18. Okay. I'm still here. I'm still in the experience. What should I do now? And so for some reason, I decided to yell out, take me to Nirvana. As one does, yeah. (laughs) Well, I've got a bit of a habit. So when we lucid dream, you often have an intention that you would say out to the dreamscape and something responds. So I have this habit of yelling out things when I'm in an altered state. Uh, So that was natural, but I don't know why I said take me to Nirvana. But once I did... The experience was out of my control. Some sort of unseen force picked me up and I began to float above, 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 above the trees. But just before I got to the clouds, I seemed to pass through what appeared to be a thin sheet of static uh, hanging, in the, hanging in the sky, if you like. And as I passed through, it was a little bit like when we pass slowly out of water So shifting from one atmosphere to the other, from water to air. And there was no sense of up, down, left, right. I'd lost any kind of periphery sensation of where I was in space. But I found myself in this huge tunnel that filled the entirety of my awareness, my perception. It was black and it had a white light at the end, not dissimilar to some of the near-death experiences. And I was being gravitating towards this white light, uh, like I was being pulled, almost like I was mesmerized, but I was fully aware and fully awake and I could make decisions. And I got halfway and I suddenly got really scared. And as soon as I felt fear, what happened? Back in my physical body. (laughs) So I come around with a jerk. I sit up in bed. My husband's lying next to me. He wakes up and we're both dream practitioners. So he says to me, what's happened? What's happened? Because he knows something significant has gone on. And I say, I I think I've just had an out-body experience. And he goes, oh, oh, okay, well done. Rolls over and goes back to sleep. (laughs) But he's had them before. So he knew that it wasn't anything to worry about. But for me, this was... This, this blew my mind. It really moved me in quite a way that the lucid dreaming had, and, and also I've done plant medicine in the past, such as ayahuasca and DMT, and it really moved me in a way that was very different to those experiences. Uh, but that day, the same day, I went back to the house on the corner to see what the number was on the door. And when I got to the crossroads with the house, it said number 18, the same one that was in my experience. So that seemed like an evidenced or veridical experience. I also looked at the tunnel of light. And as some of your listeners might know, uh, it's very common in near-death experiences. Uh, sometimes people that have OBEs do see the tunnel, but it is more common with near-death experiences. I believe I had that experience because I requested to go to perhaps a place or a state that was um, 
beyond the non-ordinary. Like, like nirvana is this concept, effectively, an enlightenment of bliss, of something beyond our objective reality, perhaps, some say. So I think that's why I was taken to um, the tunnel. But yeah, I, I, I couldn't get to grips with what had happened. It was, one of the key things I always say was looking back at my physical body, because when I looked back at it, I had a huge realization that I am not limited to my physical body. And if I am not limited to my physical body, perhaps there are other areas of my life that I'm not limited to. And in fact, perhaps there's no limits at all. So that really shifted things for me. And I decided to leave my dance company and change my career. I went and did my master's degree in transpersonal psychology, which is study of consciousness, spirituality and psychology. And then I wanted to explore the transformative effects so how it impacts people after they've had an experience and how their life changes um yeah effectively so wow. that was a, quite a big deal that's the short version it <laughs> <laughs> throws up a million questions actually um one of them is that that you talked about lucid dreaming and mm-hmm. um for those those who don't know um jade's husband is charlie morley we've had him on talking about lucid dreaming so if you haven't heard that episode, go back and listen because it's a goodie. Um, <laughs> but so what, I- what is the difference then between um, lucid dreaming and out-of-body experiences? Because in lucid dreaming, sometimes you can also see your body. Um, I- I've certainly experienced that. Or was I having an out-of-body experience? What's the technical difference? Uh, well, to keep it fairly simple to start, um, they are neurologically and subjectively different experiences if you've had enough of both you can start to kind of tease out the different symptoms and signs so the first one is the definition of the out-body experience so having a feeling or sensation of coming out of your physical body separating transitioning exiting stepping away that could be floating or sinking or rolling out so this sensation of coming away from the physical body and it feels very physical even though it's not a physical act. Then the second part is having a floating perception or self-awareness. So we are now not in our body, but we may be in the same room or we may seem to go into a different realm or dimension or different place altogether. So we're in the body and then we appear to have this shift out. With a lucid dream, we are typically asleep in bed and we're in the REM sleep and we realize we are dreaming. So we we wake up effectively in the dream state itself. So we go, aha, I'm dreaming and I'm in the dream. So there's not this sense of separating. We all we end up in the dream. And also we can have an out-of-body experience without being asleep. So we can be awake and aware, still usually in some sort of altered state, such as trance or deep relaxation or meditation, but we can have one when we're not asleep. Whereas lucid dreaming only happens in REM. There are some experiences in in um in deep sleep but mainly happen in REM and then there's a few things so secondly the environment is is can be very different so in a lucid dream it is very physical it is very 3D and it is very real so much so when people have one they often wake up because they can't believe how real it is so this is why I think it can get confusing because people say the same thing about our body experiences it's realer than real but you can change your environment in a lucid dream pretty easily. Um, so if I were to say, beach appear behind me right now, I could turn around and a beach would be there. Or I could say, um, I'd like to meet my uh, shadow or inner child or higher self. And something would respond in the dream state in a, in a very physical way in the, in the dream. When we have an OBE, we can't really change the environment. And it seems to be, for most people, they generally come out in the room that their physical body is. So they don't seem to be going into a dreamscape, but they seem to be coming out into what may be their objective environment. It may not be because there are different environments we can go into. For me, though, so my personal opinion at this moment in time is when we have a lucid dream, we are in the 3D hyper real definition of our own psychology our own unconscious mind uh 99% of everything in the dream is us an expression of us the chairs the sun the sky the sea it's us when we have an out-of-body experience it seems like we tap into uh, the greater collective or space and time beyond our own psychology our own unconscious mind and I often explain it like 
there's a computer and a lucid dream is the computer. We have access to the hard drive, the files and the photographs, the memories. With an out-of-body experience, it's like we go out through the internet cable and we tap into the internet. So we can visit different sites, we can have encounters with different people, and we can tap into other environments in very far distant places. Um, but with, an, with a lucid dream, it's usually our own psychology. Now, there is something where you can shift from the lucid dream state into an out-of-body experience, where we shift beyond our own psychology and tap into that greater collective. Sometimes that can look like a shift straight into astral projection, or we might have an element come through the internet into the computer. For example, like when people have visitation dreams of a dead relative, it's like they've entered the dream. So they're based in their own psychology, but something external has come into their mind space. Whereas in OBE, we are in the external mind space as a base, not in our own mind. So there is a subtle boundary, I think, between the two. But this is where it gets even trickier because we, we are seeing the out-of-body spaces through our mind anyway. Kenneth Ring called this mind sight. So even though it doesn't appear we are in the baseline, our default setting of our own psychology, we do see through it, our beliefs, our conditioning, our habits, um, basically interpret what we then receive as information in the out-of-body state if that makes sense. It does. It, it does. does. It yeah. Does. <laughs> throws, throws up even more questions again. Um, <laughs> uh, one of the things that you said there that, that kind of captures my interest, I mean, if, if you were to look at it from a completely sceptical perspective, and there's a lot of sceptics out there, they would, they would insist that whether it's lucid dreaming, whether it's an out-of-body experience, whether it's a near-death experience, this is still all basically the hallucination of the mind and a fabric of the mind. But you talked about double checking in your own experience and presumably people who are very well versed with OBEs and research this subject have been able to demonstrate that it's a real thing and that you do actually leave the confines of, of this biological form. So could you just talk about that a bit? Yeah. So there is a little bit of divide on, um, on different perspectives of the OBE. So in some traditions, um, like shamanism, for example, and maybe the spiritualist community, they do believe a soul or, or a spirit is leaving the body. So almost like we're leaving an empty vessel. I personally think that view is a little bit outdated and it's a little bit limiting considering everything we know now about the mind to way back then from a lot of the esoteric literature. I think we are extending or expanding beyond the body. So it's not like the entirety of our consciousness is, is moving and shifting out like we're not there, but actually somehow we are tapping beyond and entering into a different expanded state through the altered state that we get into such as trance or um, very deeply relaxed, what we call the mind awake body asleep state. So expanding beyond. Now, just to come to your question about verified experiences, there have been many. Uh, they're phenomenologically verified or evidence. So someone comes out of the body and they get a car number, they come back, they've never seen the car before and they go and verify it in the street that they saw it, a little bit like my door number. Or for example, there's Graham Nichols' story where he was teaching a group of people a technique called the g-force technique and he went into an altered state had an out-of-body experience and saw a bombing happened on the corner of soho and moore street and he then felt an explosion happen 25 yards ahead of him outside the admiral pub and felt a wave of emotion hit him which sent him into a kind of void space and then he ended up back in his physical body when his fellow subjects felt he was in distress, basically, and tried to coax him back out. So he then told them what he'd seen, where it was, the location, and they wrote all of this down. So he effectively kind of had five witnesses in terms of what it was, and he felt it was very much a precognitive experience. And then five days later, the Soho bombing happened exactly where he saw it if he was standing on the corner of Moore Street in that place. So that was a very moving experience for him. And it's, I think that's evidence of one that actually then happened. So it seems like we can tap these spaces beyond time and, and space. Uh, just to re-step back to the skeptics, yes. So the skeptics largely will say, well, you're just hallucinating because that view comes from the materialist reduction perspective of 
we can't possibly expand or reach anything outside of the brain because consciousness only resides in it. It's packed in there somehow in the flesh. It's packed into our brain. So it can't somehow come out. But what I'd say to that is um, basically the skeptic argument is, and I'm going to bring up Susan Blackmore because she's one of the biggest skeptics that's done research of OBEs. So she says it's we travel in a model of reality and imagination in our mind and we aren't going externally anywhere, but we're traveling within this new model that our brain creates because of the sensory deprivation. So we don't have a lot of internal input. So the brain simply makes up an external environment from memory and imagination. But I would say, how do we not know that that's happening right now? <laughs> how do we not know that? This world is not somehow related to our thoughts, our internal psychology, um, that this is not, we're not experiencing consciousness right now as it is. So I don't think she's actually wrong, but I don't think she's actually right in the way that she's making out like they don't happen. I think she's looking at it the wrong way. I think, yes, we do travel in within our memory, our, our imagination, but that that stretches beyond the physical body and has overlaps in time and space with other planes of existence that also have the same things operating and going on. This is kind of getting into the realm of physics now. <laughs> so I, I, always, um, I always relate consciousness with things like string theory and um, the many worlds theory. So this idea that there are different types of dimensional space that mm -hmm. we can't we can access through the five senses, um, but that we go beyond the five senses and I think we can do that through expanded states of consciousness. We can then tap into it. Fabulous. <laughs> Great. It makes perfect sense to me. The other thing that you said was that, that most of the time out of body experiences occur when you're lying down and you're very relaxed and often in a sleep mm. state. Um, the very first time I had an out of body experience, I was actually completely awake and in fact, I was 19. I remember it vividly to this day <clears throat> at a party in the evening. And I met an ex-boyfriend that it had not gone well. We had gone um, apart in a very, very acrimonious fashion. And I was so angry. Um, he said something or other, you know, at 19, one is emotionally very sensitive. Um, <laughs> so I was so angry that I actually heard this plop in my ear. And the next thing I knew, I was standing next to myself, watching myself have this conversation with this person. And I have no recollection of how long it lasted. It felt like it lasted forever. And I was just watching what was going on. And I wasn't partaking I couldn't tell you what I was saying to this other person because I felt like I was just watching it and then after the experience was over um he actually commented to me you know man you can be really scary sometimes and just turned around and walked away and this is this has kind of like bugged me for years so maybe finally you can throw some insight on this <laughs> so is it possible to have an out-of-body experience in a waking state in when you're when you're so severely emotionally triggered like that that it just like mm -hmm. I had the feeling literally that the emotion pushed me out of my body it's interesting you should say that because you are correct. You can have them when you're awake, but it's possible that you could have gone into a subtle altered state from the heightened emotion because we know that OBEs are survival based and evolutionary. So what I mean by that is someone who has an accident or such as a near-death experience or a car crash, but also someone who is in pregnancy might have an out-of-body experience or has a very severe anxiety attack can have an out-of-body experience. These are very quite rare, but they're also quite short-lived. So they're usually for a few moments and then the person's back in the body again. And it seems like these survival-based OBEs are related to a natural mechanism in the body that goes, I can't deal with this at the moment, or I need to survive. And there's this shift that comes out and then you're back within a few seconds. And then the evolutionary out-body experiences happen again spontaneously, but sometimes when people are at a crossroads in their life psychologically, so they might be a big change, they might want to change career, move country, uh, split up with a partner or find a new partner. And so there's this kind of internal conflict or unsure about decision-making, and then they might get a spontaneous out-of-body experience, which then they retrieve information 
or guidance or help that seems to direct where they need to go for their next pathway in life. So both of those can happen. And it seems like yours was um, what I call the forced out of body experience from the place of needing to survive or get away from this situation. So yes, totally, that can happen. Fascinating, yeah. fascinating stuff. Um, the other experience I personally have had is is also having sleep paralysis, which apparently I then later learned was was a, a perfect starting point to actually initiate now to body experience. I was just totally scared stiff, I'll be honest with you. It's the weirdest thing. You wake up, you're completely conscious and your body doesn't move. <laughs> so um can you maybe like um, elucidate a couple of, of simple techniques that are the most common for actually being able to to initiate an out-of-body experience? Yeah, sure. And oh my God, they're so scary when you yeah. first have them. Yeah, so I really sympathize with anyone that suffers with sleep paralysis, but also say if if we can be courageous enough to move into that space, it could be an amazing gateway for out-of-body experiences or even dropping into lucid dreams. It's usually out of body experiences. So, okay, if it is that unbearable and someone is far too scared um, to move into that environment when they have sleep paralysis, you can do a technique which involves like slow breathing out, almost like a, a kind of sound, like you're blowing into a balloon. Because the only thing that is working in the physical body is the respiratory system, the lungs, which is why it can often feel like there's a heavy weight on the chest because the lungs are the only thing that is actually moving that we can feel. So we want to draw a long exhale as long as we can out and it should snap us out. I haven't actually tried that technique because I'm trying to stay in that space, (laughs) but I know that people have had success with that and it kind of clicks them out. If we can be brave enough to stay within sleep paralysis but say we've got scary hallucinations happening, we want to try and drop into the heart space. So we want to try and connect with love and gratitude. And we can do that by bringing to mind people or places or pets that bring a sense of joy and love. So I might think of my husband, I might think of my new sausage dog waffles. <laughs> um, so I bring drop into the heart space into a sense of love. When I've done that, the hallucinations seem to dissolve away. So they literally kind of disapparate, if you like, don't know if that's the word, but they kind of obliterate in front of my eyes when I drop into the space of love. And then from there, I can do an exit technique to shift out of my body into the OBE state. Now, it doesn't always happen. Sometimes I need a couple of backup techniques because the sleep paralysis can be so strong that a couple approaches are needed, but we can try a technique. Uh, William Buhlman's is an easy one, I think, to learn, which is command-based, intention and command-based. So he says, door now. So you intend for your bedroom door or wherever your body might be lying, the exit to the room, and you go door now with a very willful command and intention, door now, and then hopefully our awareness can shift. If not, there's numerous different ways uh, of moving out of the body right so the fact that there are these these techniques would infer that this is not um a, a special talent perhaps that presumably some people obviously who have these experiences spontaneously are lucky enough to just be able to do it but the rest of us can actually learn how to do it as well is is that correct Definitely. Anybody can do it. It doesn't matter what age, background, ability. You might have not had any kind of experiences before. You could have had many. Uh, So anyone can do this practice, definitely. And then, of course, that follows on. I mean, it it always amazes me when you think of things like lucid dreaming, when you think of -of out-of-body experiences, or even things like the Kundalini experience. It seems to me that our body-mind consciousness has the ability to do certain things that aren't run-of-the-mill, which leads you always to ask the question, why is that possible? What what can we get from this? What's the purpose? Because I really believe that nature doesn't just do things by accident and that these things, these abilities are there for a pur- purpose. And it's always interesting to me as well, the fact that we have to usually work pretty hard to be able to initiate these experiences. What are your thoughts on that? That is a really good question. I'm not sure I have a definitive answer. Um, So I don't know, but what comes to mind is kind of 
you know, we're creatures of habit. So we have habits and our habits, not just physical habits, but habits of our mind in terms of our ability to focus uh, for a long period of time, for example, or our habits of, of the way our thoughts react to negative situations. And a very a simple example is like negative self-talk or patterns of behavior that we tend to do in response to stuff without thinking. It's all on autopilot. We're probably not even aware of it half the time. So I think as this is related to our consciousness and our awareness, we've got to work with these habits because there are certain conditions of our mind that allow for these experiences to happen. For example, like you said, uh, with the having high emotions and then you had an out-body experience, that was kind of perfect for conditions for this OBE to instinctively take place. It was the perfect circumstances. So I think the same can be said when we try to self-initiate these. We're not just going to be able to do it like that. It takes um, a lot of time and practice for some people, not all, to be able to self-induce these because the habits of mind are too strong effectively. For example, I teach a three-step technique, which is mind awake, body asleep, the vibrational state, and then an exit. The hardest state for people to learn and to work with is the first one. It isn't actually exiting the body. It's mind awake, body asleep, because we need to try and allow our body to fall asleep, but our mind to stay awake and aware. And most people, as soon as you try to focus the mind, the mind wants to be off thinking about what are we having for dinner? What bills need to be paid? What did so-and-so say to me yesterday? What happened at work? So we can't hold or anchor our mind to a visualization or a technique because it suddenly goes off like the monkey mind in the beginner's meditation or like the wild horse being tethered to a stick so if our mind is jumping all over the place it's going to be very hard to be able to drop into a relaxed state and navigate effectively the out-of-body experience so for most people they find step one hard however some people have natural experiences since a child uh, that happens spontaneously and they don't know why and other people that have done meditation or shadow work or other mind training techniques might find it easier because they've cultivated a foundation which makes it better to practice from, to springboard into the OBE from that base that they've already worked on. Right. <laughs> and, and so what's the purpose of OBE? Why can we have these experiences? And perhaps more importantly, if we can train to, to have them, how can we best use them? What can they be used for? How can we best use them? What can they be best used for? I think... Other than having fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think for... So what I'm looking at with my research, I'm slowly coming to the conclusion, though it's not 100% confirmed yet, that they can be used for self-actualization. So this is an idea um, from Maslow and numerous other, other people that humans have this natural capacity to want to become their fullest self or discover their inner purpose or authentically align with who they really are. So it's about removing the conditioning that doesn't align with us and becoming more more of ourselves effectively. Jung called this individuation. So it's closely related to self-actualization. And through the out-of-body experience, we can shed parts of ourself that we don't need and reclaim parts of ourself that we've maybe lost along the way and also shed parts of ourself that don't serve us anymore, aren't necessary or don't, doesn't align with our inner being. And by doing that over a long period of time, so this is consistently, I think we become more and more and more self-individuated and self-actuated. And what is in line with that is things like shadow work, which you can do in the out-of-body state, which shadow work is also known to help people self-individualize, self-actualate. So for those listeners that might not know, shadow is a concept uh, made from Jung, who said it's anything within ourselves that we deny, disown, or suppress that we don't like, often related to past trauma, often linked with shame, guilt, and fear. So it's like we shove it into the back of our minds. We don't want anything to do with it but yet it will arise in certain situations and it will guide our decision-making process because we want to not see it or embrace it. So we can actually work with these aspects of ourselves and bring it into the light and then become more whole and more full, as like what Jung said, once we start to integrate these parts of ourselves. And that's one of the core things I teach in out-of-body experiences because I think it's one of the most beneficial things. 
what does this look like on a day-to-day modern kind of level? <laughs> so things like transforming our fears. So releasing fears, the fear of death, fears in life. Uh, one of my case studies had a fear of education. He had a very powerful out-of-body experience and had numerous ones after. And he said, to quote, it was like I met God, just fearless. I had this epiphany that I could do anything with my life. Since then, he has gone on to do a master's degree and he's just completed that from Edinburgh University and he's enrolled to do his PhD down south at Greenwich University. He left school with no GCSEs. He was a dropout and did music. So that's a, a very kind of simple way of explaining how we can work with our fears. But spiritual insights, realizations about our life, guidance with decision-making, if we'd want to, uh, healing grief, potentially connecting with loved ones who have passed away is is quite a common one, actually. So working with grief, that can be very powerful for people. And people that are dying or have loved ones that are dying as well, are doing this practice can help alleviate the fear of death, which I think is one of the most important things. Absolutely. But, yeah. Fascinating. Um, <clears throat> When you were talking about um, the fact that, that you can you can make changes in your psychological state in the let's call it the real world, the waking world. What about on the physical level? Has there been every, any evidence of of physical healing through out of body experiences? The people that I've interviewed, the stories haven't focused around physical healing, but. I know that one of my case studies, she considers her OBE her spiritual awakening. So you can have quite a mundane OBE, to to be honest, where you sort of shift out of your body and you go back and that's that. And you can have other ones which seem to have what we call a numinous experience or a peak experience where you seem to have an experience of, let's say, the divine or the universe or, or a higher self. And then you realize things about your life that you couldn't have known before. And she said that, her OBE, she realized every reason why she'd got ill and she'd been very sick. And she said she realized every reason why she'd got ill. And part of that was due to her not really being authentic and connecting to her true self and operating from a place of fear, which, you know, there's been many, many stories of this. Anita Morjani comes to mind with her very famous uh, out-of-body, near-death experience from when she was medically ill with cancer. So, it seems to be like people get realizations and insights into their illnesses as opposed to being physically healed on the other end. But I don't know whether the physical healing, I I think it could be possible. I have a friend who is doing distance healing, energy distance healing for her dissertation. And she's very interested in the OBE state because she thinks that that could be used somehow to enhance the distance healing because you are directly I don't know what she calls it, but in the energetic plane or, you know, outside of ourselves. And she thinks that could be potentially stronger. So that's something there. But I don't have any experience of that. But I haven't tried as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I hear you. Nothing tested, nothing gained. Um, Absolutely wonderful. Again, comparing, we we talked about looking at OBEs in comparison to lucid dreaming. You've talked a lot about near-death experiences, um, mm. uh, out-of-body experiences and near-death experiences essentially also categorized together. Yeah, so the out-of-body experience is, actually, is usually the first step in terms of the components of the near-death experience. So it'll often go out-of-body experience, tunnel of light, meeting loved ones, having a question of whether you want to come back. So then getting a choice of whether you want to come back or not. In an out-of-body experience, we generally just exit into the space around our physical body and we visit different environments. So people have experienced the tunnel of light and they have experienced connection with dead loved ones, but it hasn't been in the same kind of way, if you like, as the near-death experience, because their body is totally fine, everything's okay, they're not in an accident, they're not in a cardiac arrest, uh, they're just at home in bed. So I think because the body isn't dying, they're not being propelled on the same journey, if you like, as you would do if you were just self-initiating. So the OBE stands alone as a practice, but it is also considered one of the components of the near-death experience. But no be isn't a near-death experience. Right, right. If that makes sense. <laughs> it does. It does. I, I've heard there's some data. I think I think the original data was was done on rats. I'm, I'm not 
sure that they can even do these experiments on humans, that there, there is some evidence to show that the naturally produced hallucinogenic chemical DMT is actually massively released in the brain shortly before death, which I have to say always leaves me thinking, isn't nature kind? You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, if you if you don't believe in a divine intelligence at that point, I think you have to, because why would <laughs> why would that experience be made more pleasant, you know, um, if it if it wasn't for a loving, a loving intelligence somewhere. But I digress. Um, do you think that that is also an element of an OBE that that you put your body in a in a certain position, which is even though you said on the one hand it's in bed and it's safe, but somehow there may be some kind of a signal that goes to the brain that says, "Well, minute, something here is not quite right. Let's just uh, soften the blow." <laughs> I love that. Isn't nature kind? I like that idea that it's releasing DMT to make the passage of death more easier. That's lovely. Um, Yes, there is a link to DMT and to the out-of-body experience. Uh, so DMT occurs naturally in the body in all plants and animals, generally. Mm-hmm. And what my friend who's a neuroscientist who is in the documentary that I did, he has been doing studies on the vibrational state, so uh, neuro- neuroscience studies. So when people get into the transition state, so the precursor to having an out-of-body experience, when they feel the flurry of energy, the different sounds, uh, sometimes it can feel like you're in a vacuum, but when they experience this state, um, they found that there is a peak in the gamma wave in the brain. So sometimes I think the gamma brain state, which is also the brain state of awe and epiphany. So when we have an idea or we feel moved by a beautiful scenery, um, awe tends to, um, I think it, gamma wave is also linked to that. So he's noticed that the gamma wave in the brain tends to be a very, very high peak in the vibrational state. Now, we don't know whether once that person uh, has separated from the body, let's say, or extended beyond it, whether the body stays in that state because they haven't had an OBE. They've just induced the vibrational state. So we don't know if that continues, but it's very interesting that there seems to be the gamma wave state at very high peaks. And just to put this in perspective, the monks and the nuns that are in very deep levels of meditation are said to have had highs of, I think, 70, 80, and occasionally 100 of the gamma wave. But in the vibrational state, he said he found up to peaks of, so not the average, but at the most, 200 gamma waves. So this is really interesting in terms of what happens in the brain in an out-of-body experience or just before the out-of-body experience. So even though our consciousness may actually go on, our brains do indeed have something to do with it. (laughs) I think so. I think consciousness and the brain are intrinsically linked. Um, They can't not be. We know this from when someone has a brain injury and then is unable to function you know, through their consciousness and awareness. So we know they're intrinsically linked, um, but I think that we are in an outdated scientific worldview when we say it is limited and it is re- consciousness is reduced only to the brain. It's produced from the brain. And I think that's limited because we're starting to move into an area of consciousness studies and also with what's coming out now in physics. Um, I just think that it's slightly getting a little bit outdated, but it's such a big thing for scientists to turn around and go, well, okay, uh, perhaps it's something else. Because in order for us to say it's something else, we almost have to discard a lot of the prominent ideas and fundamentals that we currently have. And I think that's a really big thing to do. Although I don't think we have to. I don't think it's one or the other. I think they can still operate at the same time. It doesn't have to be either or somehow I think they can harmonize together. Right, right. So it seems from what you're saying that you're more of the opinion, as as I am myself, that perhaps the brain works as a kind of a transducer of a signal, that it doesn't necessarily generate that consciousness, but it's necessary to process it in a way that we can make it useful. Yeah, I think that's what I lean to at the moment. And I know that, um, you know, very prominent people, particularly in psychology, like um, neuropsychiatrist Dr. Peter Fennick, mm-hmm. um, he he believes in that. And I think um, we had like Stephen Taylor, who's a lecturer at Leeds Uni. He thinks that consciousness is canalized or transmitted. So I think it's quite a, an emerging, even it's been around for a while, I think it's starting to become a more popular view of consciousness. Right. 
just to digress a tiny little bit, the, the one thing that really strikes me and, and one of the reasons why I have this podcast is, is that there is clearly a huge amount of interest in, I would say, predominantly the Western world. I think the Eastern world has had an interest in this for a long time. But generally, in terms of self-actualization, of moving beyond, of looking for a spiritual awakening, finding meaning, I mean, it's, it's like, I just get the feeling when I compare it to sort of 20, 30 years ago when I first started meditating and you kind of kept that quiet because otherwise people would think you were a bit strange. Um, these days, you know, everybody's walking around with an app. Um, what do you think that's all about? Why do you think we've gotten to this point where whether it's OBEs or lucid dreaming or meditation that people seem so hungry for something more all of a sudden? I think one thing it could be related to is just the state of the world. <laughs> I know that sounds a grand, a grand blanket statement, but just the state of the world that we're in now, it seems like, and I think I, think I can speak on part for millennials as well, because that's uh, I'm just missed the cusp of millennials, but I work a lot with them. Like, it's just very difficult to live at this time. And I think these sorts of ancient practices offer a different way to connect into ourselves and the wider world in a better way than currently what we have available. Um, and, and I think that helps a lot of people with their well-being, with their ability to operate day to day, with the really little things and little worries. And I think it's that searching for a better way to operate in the world today, given all the horrible things that are happening. At least that's the only thing I can think of right now is related to that. Yeah, I, I agree with you, actually. I also think we have more time. Um, you know, I think in oh, olden days, yeah. we were pretty much, you know, bothered 24 hours a day with just literally trying to survive and make it through. And actually, even though everybody complains, relatively life is quite good. And I think we mm -hmm. have a lot more time to be miserable, you know, and therefore <laughs> go searching for, for something else. But I agree. I mean, it's, it's definitely a, a, a world phenomenon for sure, for sure. <laughs> so Jade, if somebody is fascinated by this and how could you not be um, and is begging to try and find it. What's the best way to do that? What's the best way to learn how to do this, to find the techniques? And is it something that you would actually recommend trying by yourself? Are there any downsides? Are there any negative sides to this? Could somebody have a bad experience and, mm -hmm. and suffer from it and therefore be encouraged to do it more with a teacher? I think it's beneficial to connect with a community or a group or a teacher. You don't have to. For example, if someone has done a lot of meditation before, have worked with altered states, whether that's ceremonial through psychedelics or something else, uh, then you're more likely to have the confidence to embrace the content that might come up in an out-body experience and so be fine on your own. But I think for complete beginners, it is good to have that connection to a teacher or a community. So one of the risks that I always say could potentially happen is what's called a spiritual crisis or a spiritual emergency. So if we have a very powerful transformative out-body experience and the content of it somehow questions our current core belief system, what we think about ourselves and the world, and especially if we have very rigid views about certain things in the world and our lives, if they are questioned very deeply through whatever happens in the OBE, that can break down someone's internal scaffolding, if you like. And that can be a very difficult process for those. Basically, similar to the spirit, spiritual awakening process. You know, many people think the spiritual awakening is beautiful, it's love and light, it's nice, but if you've had a spiritual awakening... It's a rough are, ride. <laughs> it is a rough ride. You are in for the dark night of the soul. <laughs> so I think that can happen. It's, it's not very common, but if you do have a big, powerful one, like my friend, and hers was a positive one. She had insights, the lady I said who had the case study with the spiritual awakening, but it still affected her life in a very big way. And she ended up changing careers. So that can be quite disruptive and a quite a difficult time. So one can have a spiritual emergency or spiritual crisis if they have a very powerful out-of-body experience that they find hard to integrate. So I think Ken Wilber said, um, 
this is not transformation, it's destruction or something of the kind. In terms of it's so radical, we cannot integrate it quick enough because we don't have the tools or the capacity or the experience to. So that could potentially happen. But also the way that we make sense of what's happening in the body experience can affect how we make meaning from it. And this is when people, for example, say they see a shadow in their out-of-body experience and they assume, oh, well, that's evil. Oh, well, that's bad. Or they label it from their belief system that they've been taught in school or a religious point of view. And if you start labeling things from your conditioning and plastering over the top of what really might be happening, then um, you can come away and think something bad or negative is happening to you. And then actually it was never about the experience itself, but it was how you interpreted it that is causing the suffering. And that that is what I've seen the, where people have had negative experiences. It's that that's been the most negative. The story that they have told themselves about the experience that they've had rather than what could have been the truth of the experience. As an example of this, um, of how like a shadow could be a positive thing is that I have a friend who is an OBE teacher and he saw a shadow coming up to him in the loose, in the OBE state. And, um, at first he was a bit scared that it got, as it got closer, the clarity came into frame and it was his son. So there could be the potential there for a positive beneficial experience, but we often tend to react with panic or fear before we actually know, well, is this a threatening situation? But the ego tends to freak out and want to return to a safe place. So it also makes sense, you know. One could argue that that most people experience exactly that in the waking state, in the normal <laughs> state too, that, that we're all a bit confused by Maya, are we? <laughs> all the illusion and our our decisions yeah. and our and our preconceived ideas. Exactly. We're Sadly, almost running out of time. I can't believe it. These things go so quickly. It's just getting so juicy. Is there is there an essential thing regarding OBEs that we haven't touched that perhaps you might want to just make sure that people are aware of? I would just say if you feel called to it, because I mean, let's face it, it's not everybody's cup of tea. Some people, uh, some people are really drawn to it. Other people they're drawn to different spiritual practices. If you are called to it, but you're not sure. Just give it a go. Just give it a try. See if it's for you. But don't practice for two weeks and then give up and think, oh, it's not working. As William Buhlman always says, he says it takes time. Um, some people it happens overnight. Other people it can take two weeks to three months. But just stick with it and have consistent practice. But just give it a go and make up your own mind, especially if you're quite skeptical. You know, Try it for yourself and then see what happens for you during that. Great. Along those lines, Jay, do you have a workshop coming up which is going to help people start that journey? Do you maybe want to tell everybody about that for people who are listening to this episode as it comes out? (laughs) Yeah, so I have a one-day deep dive workshop which is for beginners to intermediate, so people with no experience whatsoever or maybe you've had one or two and you want to deepen your practice. And this is on Sunday the 8th of September at 42 Acres, which is a beautiful venue in the middle of Shoreditch in London and that's from 10 to 5.30 and you can go to my website www.jadeshaw.com or just find me on social media and drop me a message just type Jade Shaw out of body experience into Facebook and my page will come up or my Instagram is becoming transcendent with underscore in between and just drop me a message and I can email you the details great I think I'm going to try and make that for sure Jane, we always talk on on this podcast, London Heal is about mind, body, spirit, um, medicine Mm. primarily, but all aspects of that. Um, And I like to encapsulate that in the ideas of health, happiness and serenity. So for you personally, how do you define health? What does that word actually mean for you? Authenticity is the first thing that comes up without me thinking about it. Because authenticity came up and then I thought, yeah, but I'm not quite sure whether something I could think of something better. So I'm going to go with my instincts and the first thing that came up or authenticity, whatever that might mean for you. Yep, absolutely. And happiness. What does Jade do to get happy? And is it something that you even think is worth pursuing? We talk about the pursuit of happiness. And I often think that a lot of people mix up happiness with pleasure and they're not the same thing. Mm. How do you feel about that? What what role does happiness play in your life and what do you do to get happy? 
Wow. Well, this is, so I find being completely authentic, I actually struggle with happiness. So I am on the journey to um, exploring exactly what you're talking about. So I don't have an answer because I'm literally exploring that area at the moment. Me but too. My, <laughs> and I'm a lot older than you are. So. <laughs> I think, again, I think my instinct would come down to something to do with limitations and the limitations we put on ourselves and then how that relates to happiness. That's where I'm at at the minute. Right. And the last one is serenity. So obviously you are an expert in both lucid dreaming practices and OBEs, but are there any other practices that, that you choose to, I always describe it as turning down the noise, you know, giving yourself the opportunity mm. to just get away and, and put your brain on hold for a while. What sort of things do you like to do to become serene? I am working, it's not so much a physical practice or a health practice, but I'm working with um, acceptance. So self-acceptance, acceptance. So how I can have almost micro moments of serenity throughout the day. Um, when I find myself becoming over emotional, frustrated, annoyed or angry and actually looking at the situation and seeing, is it, is it really true? Is it, is what is happening um, needing for me to be this way and then finding the micro moment of accepting what is happening basically the mindfulness approach and and i'm working with that to find micro moments of serenity that's brilliant i love that i am so stealing that um, <laughs> that's just great Jade, thank you so much. It's been a wonderful conversation. Yes, um, I hope you. it's wet people's appetites go. Um, are there any books or anything that you recommend maybe as a place for people to start reading? One of my favorites is Graham Nichols, Navigating the Outer Body Experience. He's he's very experienced and he has a very balanced viewpoint from with the science and the spiritual side of things. And he's one of the people who've had the most profound experience in my eyes. William Buhlman's uh, Adventures Beyond the Body is another one. If you want a classic, Robert Ramon Rose, um, oh, I forgot the name. I forgot the name. It's got Journey in the title. I've just had a blank. Sorry. Um, Journey's Out of the Body. There we go. Robert Monroe's Journey's Out of the Body for a classic. Great. Jade, thanks so much. I'd love to acknowledge you for all the work that you do. I think it's brilliant. I think to have the courage to actually go ahead and, and stand behind your experiences in a world which is perhaps still a little sceptical and a little scathing at times. Um, we, we need, um, you know, we need explorers like you. So thank you for your work. Keep doing it. And um, last thing I wanted to ask you is the, the movie that you made, your documentary film. There is still some screenings planned is that correct so yeah is that all available on your website where where those screenings take place or what's the easiest way for people to find that out yeah it's on the website wonderful jade thank you thank you so much well, dear listeners, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Jade as much as I did. Out-of-body experiences, what a fascinating, exciting realm that we can discover. As I mentioned when we, we spoke to, to Jade's hubby, Charlie, about, um, Charlie Morley, about the lucid dreaming experience, it seems like we spend so much of our time actually asleep or unaware or resting or preoccupied and there's so many opportunities that our minds our consciousness allow us to go out experience more learn more um, become more authentic and somehow receive the right kind of information at the right time to help us with whatever it is that we're struggling with and if nothing else it all sounds like a lot of fun. So I highly encourage you to investigate this subject a little deeper if you're not so aware of it. Go and check out um, Jade's workshop if you get a chance. She has several coming up in the future, but that's the next one is coming up in September. And also check out her website. And on that note, I would also encourage you, if you found this episode interesting, to please make sure that you share it with other people who might find it interesting. And also, um, you are welcome to distribute any of our social media materials. You can find us all over the internet at London Heal. And of course, please rate and review us on iTunes. iTunes is going out and being replaced with Apple Podcasts, 
pretty much as of now. And how we rate really, really determines how many new people get to hear this important sort of information. So please help us achieve our goal of spreading these important messages by supporting us and rating us and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or, in fact, any podcast platform that you choose to use and if you would like to have access to extended show notes for future episodes then please come over to londonheal.com sign up as a london heal insider and you will receive an email whenever there's a new episode with all the links and the extended show notes and so my dear listeners that leaves me to wish you as always health happiness and serenity.